Hello and welcome to the No Longer Be Children podcast. I'm your host, Josiah Meyer, and we are in pursuit of a mature and stable Christian worldview. And um, starting a new chapter of life, I'm taking a sabbatical from ministry and uh, getting a secular job, and uh, we'll see how long this season lasts. Uh, might be a permanent thing, might not, we don't know. Um, but part of my job is I drive to work uh, 15 minutes away. So, um, we might have a bunch of 15-minute podcasts, because that's kind of a neat little little window in, in time in my life. So, anyways, we're driving to work, uh, hands-free, and uh, something I want to talk briefly about is counseling. And um, there's, uh, well, it's just brought so much good into my life uh, over the last let's say 10 years Um, and there's a lot of confusion about it I think a lot of Christians for some reason are very wary of it Um, well not just for some reason let's talk about the reasons for that Um, counseling as we know it today is a recent science so like with other recent sciences Christians uh, in a recent podcast I talked about a conservative disposition versus a liberal disposition Religious people tend to be more conservative. Uh, That's just the people that are religious, generally. Um, And Christian people tend to be conservative, hold on to old things, resist new things. So, for example, during the Middle Ages, uh, new technology... Well, um, in the beginning of the modern period, new technologies were coming out to help women in childbirth. But Christians tended to be against them. And they did find religious reasons for that. Well, you know... um, Genesis 3 says women will be saved through, or, um, you know, the, the curse is about um, women will have pain in childbirth. So if we help them, then it's less curse and whatever. So there was a time when Christians were, some Christians, not all Christians, there wasn't like a, a decree from the Pope or anything, I don't think, but some Christians were against medicine that would help women in childbirth because it was newer, because it was helping women, etc. I kind of see this in a similar way, in that it's a new technology, it helps people. Um, Christians, just by general, often are more conservative people, and I think there's some resistance just because it's new. Um, The other reason is that it hasn't had... uh, it, It has grown up separately from Christianity. So... Sigmund Freud is known as the father of counseling. He lived about 100 years ago, and he was a very outspoken atheist. Realizing that my time is going quickly, I'm not going to be able to do the whole historical thing like I like to. Um, This will change the dynamic of the the drive to work. Okay, so it'll change the dynamic of my podcast. I'm going to have to be more concise. Counseling started, uh, as we know it, with Sigmund Freud in the like 1920s and he was an an outspoken atheist he hated I think it's fair to say he hated Christianity and he explained the Christian reflex as the desire for the perfect father in the sky Carl Jung was his disciple came up with a different type of, of counseling focused more on dreams and symbols was more positive to Christianity but but from a liberal perspective uh, as we've talked about in other podcasts other philosopher other counselors came along um, Roger and Rogerian counseling is another one 
Um, and that's where we're going to get talk therapy from. Uh, and he had the idea that you have the answers inside you. Everybody has the answers. You just need to talk enough and the answers will come out. And then we get up to the, to the present day. Uh, people like Oprah Winfrey um, and others. And they're kind of self-help section in the bookstores. And many Christians feel, probably rightly so, that that's one alternative, that's one way you could help yourself, and the other option is Christianity or religion. They're kind of two different options that lead in two different directions. Um, self-help is going to tell you you have the answers in yourself. Christianity is going to tell you that you have that you need to go look to the Bible for the answers. Um, Oprah Winfrey is going to tell you you're a good person. Christianity probably will tell you you're a sinner, you're going to hell. Um, etc. It's two different pathways. But what I want to say is that um, although it's true uh, that counseling is not right in everything, uh, some of the, the key assumptions I wouldn't agree with as a Christian. Um, that being said, counseling is a huge field. Um, so, so actually I would take that back. I, I wouldn't say that you can't even refer to counseling as a whole. Um, and what I would want to say is that there is a lot of good in that field. And I've, I've grown tremendously from it. So there's... Um, I'm not... I don't have a comprehensive overview of counseling. But I can tell you what I have experienced and the things that have helped me. So basically, I have experienced talk therapy... I have experienced um, Christian counseling in regards to, uh, you know, theological talk. And then more advanced Christian counseling, which is there's a, a counseling center called Caring for the Heart that helps, that specializes in that. And I, I want to talk about that later. Um, so I have experienced that. And then there's uh, something else I've experienced called hypnotherapy, which I never thought I would do. I was very skeptical of it. Uh, but turns out it worked out really well. And then over in the secular side again, uh, I have experienced EMDR. Eye movement something something. EMDR. So each one of these has contributed a crucial piece to my journey in putting me back together again. So just briefly, talk therapy. Um, it's really helpful to talk to a therapist and um, they often... Okay, so there's a difference between a psychologist and... Uh, psychologist and... Uh, there's another term that sounds so similar. So one of them can prescribe drugs, the other one can't. Uh, but both have training. It's really... Anyways, whichever one, it's helpful to talk to somebody that has training because they know what is healthy. Uh, and sometimes just talking things through, bring stuff up, and you realize, oh, that wasn't healthy. Oh, that's not normal. The problem with talk therapy is it can bring up a lot of issues, but it doesn't really fix things. Unless there's something that is, you know, sometimes just talking it through and, and having somebody say, hey, that wasn't normal, that wasn't healthy. That kind of fixes things. But things are deep down in your soul, and sometimes you can't, you need more help. And that's where... Um, Caring for the heart has really helped. And I want to talk about forgiveness prayers uh, towards the end of this. Um, so 
Christian counseling over on that side has really helped with going deep into memories, forgiving stuff, and untangling that mess. Because we have mess way back in our past that affects us today. Talk therapy can bring up the mess, uh, but um, sometimes uh, forgiveness or other methods is what we really need to untangle it. All right, I'm going to have to go, and we'll have to pick this up on the way back. All right, so I'm picking this podcast up a few days later. I wrote some notes and uh, spent some more time thinking about this and clarifying my thoughts. And um, so the way I'm putting it down is there's four types of counseling that I have experienced. This is not saying this is all there is, but this is what I have experienced and what has helped me. I could say there's non-professional Christian counseling, um, basically just talking to your pastor or talking to another Christian or talking to a friend. Then there's professional Christian counseling, uh, and I have experienced caring for the heart. There's other organizations out there that offer professional Christian counseling. And then there's secular um, talk therapy. Um, I want to talk about that a little bit. And then there's EMDR. And then there is hypnotherapy. So I guess there's five categories. Uh, I thought there were four, but I guess that's five. Now that I count them out. Okay, so non-professional Christian counseling. This is where most Christians start. Um, get up the courage to tell their pastor or tell a friend what they're dealing with. And um, and usually it really helps. It, it helps to just, you know, be honest with another human being about your issues and about your heart and... Um, a lot of our issues relate back to um, our identity in Christ and sins that we are struggling with and, um, you know, things from our past that we're trying to reconcile. And, you know, often a pastor is able to guide you through forgiveness and forgiving yourself and forgiving and finding absolution for your sins. And that deals with a lot of stuff. So it's a really great place to start. Also, you know, if you pick somebody that's kind of got their life together better than you, then often they can do some life coaching. And, well, do you think maybe it'd be helpful if you did this instead of that? And, you know, even just talking. Uh, so there's a lot of pros to um, non-professional Christian counseling. It's affordable. It's local. It's biblical. Um, usually it'll be integrated with your beliefs if you're a Baptist, you can talk to your Baptist pastor. If you're Pentecostal, you can talk to your Pentecostal pastor. Um, and it's not as though the counselor is going to be pushing you in one direction and your beliefs are pushing in another. So I would say that's a pro. That's an advantage. Um, there are some downsides to non-professional Christian counseling. Uh, I actually listed quite a few. Um, and so I want to preface this by saying it is a great thing to do. Like, get out there and and share your issues. Like, find an, um, a reliable pastor or somebody to share with. Um, <clears throat> but there are some downsides. Um, I would say with all of these, as much as you can, go with recommendations. Um, if you know somebody that has gone to your pastor, um, just ask them. I mean, there's, there's pa- pastors that are great pastors that might not be great uh, counselors uh, and vice versa there might be people that um, uh, that can't preach a sermon to save their life but are great listeners and uh, and great at giving you advice so try and ask for recommendations 
Um, mm. I think the biggest problem with non-professional Christian counseling is it's just it's not regulated. So it just depends who you get. And you might have somebody that's really great. You might have somebody that isn't great. You might have somebody that knows their stuff. You might have somebody that really has no clue uh, what they're doing. And just full disclosure here, I mean, I've got a master's in theology. I've got a bachelor's in theology and a um, master's. But I literally have zero training. Uh, I took I took training outside of counseling or outside of my master's. But my master's itself, you know, I'm qualified and perhaps overqualified for a lot of ministry jobs as far as my education. But it doesn't actually make me a better counselor when it comes to counseling i'm basically the same as any other guy uh, that read some books and that tried to educate themselves so um you need to be discerning and you need to be willing to say this isn't working out um and, and that can be really hard when you finally get the courage up to talk to somebody and then you realize pretty quickly that you're not going to get the help you wanted um it's hard to move on to another counselor and it can be harder if that counselor is your pastor. Um, so that's just, you know, part of the the complexity of it. Um, it can be an advantage if you're going to a secular person and paying them to say, I'm not getting the services I thought I would get. And it's no harm, no foul. You move on to somebody else. Could be a little bit more uh, emotionally difficult to move on from a pastor, potentially. Um Hopefully not, but it's possible there could be a lack of professional boundaries uh, in in this type of thing. Um, you would want somebody that's able to keep absolute confidentiality uh, unless somebody is being harmed. You're harming yourself or somebody else. Other than that, there should be complete confidentiality. And the person should be able to draw professional lines as far as you can't just text me any time of day or night to ask me a question. Um, and they shouldn't be texting you, uh, you know, that you should have a counseling session. It has timeline. When the counseling session is done, you go home, you do your homework, and you meet again later on. Um, so there can be, the lines can be messy sometimes. It's a danger. Um, I want to do a podcast later on things that are emotionally unhealthy that are actually sometimes encouraged. Um, Sometimes I'm realizing that there's emotionally unhealthy things that are actually encouraged uh, within religious circles, within Christian circles. Um, and I've been around enough to to know that I've I've been influenced by some of these things, and I've I've felt the sting of them. One of them is just over over spiritualizing stuff. Oh, it's spiritual warfare. Oh, it's a demonic attack. Oh, it's sin. Oh, it's something to repent of. Well. Maybe you just have a chemical imbalance in your brain. Maybe you're just really tired. Uh, maybe you have a newborn that's keeping you up at night and you just need sleep. Um, maybe you're missing a nutrient in your in your food. Um, you know, maybe you're really sick and you don't know it. So there's all sorts of things um, that it could be that um, somebody with a bit more training might be able to pick up on. Something that really bugs me, uh, and I've mentioned it in this sermon before, I haven't hit it straight on yet, uh, but I, I probably will soon, is 
basically the health and wealth gospel. Um, but also there's a, a tamed down version of that, which is just kind of the health gospel that if you're a good Christian, you won't get sick. And if you're sick, then you're, there must be sin problem. Um, this kind of victory in Jesus sort of, um, triumphalism. And that's really unhelpful. Uh, and sometimes, and, and I'm, I'm just going to be honest, it's more prevalent in Pentecostal type circles but it's surprisingly present in a lot of other circles. I've seen it in Baptist circles, for example, um, where there's this idea that uh, I've seen it. I have seen people that are Baptists have this idea that if you're sick, well, where's the sin? Um, it's not helpful. People get sick because we live in a sinful world. Um, somebody that I invited out to speak at our uh, campus ministry had been saved from a rough. <coughs> buddy from a, a rough background and you know, he was a drug dealer and all sorts of stuff and got saved and great story and wrote a book and stuff and but he had bipolar uh, he, um, he was bipolar and he had meds for it he was stable uh, that likely you know explained some of his substance abuse earlier in his life uh, he was self-medicating um, which happens and he got into some Christian friends, and the Christian friends told him that um, he should just come forward and pray, and pray, and and God would send the demons out, and then he wouldn't need his drugs anymore. I don't know much about bipolar. I know that it's a chemical imbalance in the brain that makes you super happy and then super depressed, and you go yo-yoing back and forth. And there's great meds we have now that regulate that. Still difficult. Um, he posts on Facebook sometimes about like his life is, is hard, you know, but during this season, like he almost killed himself. Uh, he was, and he, you know, quit his job and he pulled back from church and he locked himself in his apartment and he was in a really tough place because some well-meaning Christians had told him, you don't need meds, you just need to pray. And that was the wrong advice to give him. Uh, I heard a counselor say in passing that she has never seen, this was a counselor that had been doing it for like 40 years, she said, I have never seen bipolar disorder corrected except through meds. Uh, that is just one condition that they have meds for, they know what it is, uh, and it seems like that's what, there isn't another option, you need the meds. And, and there are, there is a time for that. So sometimes Christian help can, can be less than helpful. Sometimes, you know, somebody that's not trained just simply says the wrong thing. And, um, you know, when, when somebody finally gets the courage up to ask for help and somebody doesn't help them, it can, it can make them feel like there isn't any help. So that's, that's definitely a real danger. Um, a reality of the fact is that religion tends to uphold the structures in society. You know, husbands... Or wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Submit to governing authorities. And usually that's the right response. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes a wife needs to be safe from their husband. Sometimes a child needs to be safe from their parents. Sometimes citizens need to be safe from their governments. And sometimes there's a need for some healthy you know, boundaries or even a sense of rebellion or a sense of like, I don't deserve this. I should 
it's not healthy what's going on. So that can be a danger too. There can be um, um, there can be too much of a tendency to uphold the structure rather than to question the structure and and rather than prioritizing the individual rights. Um, the last thing is that, and this relates back to over spiritualization, but there can be a tendency to see everything as a sin and specifically everything as as the person in front of you is the sinner. Where, where did you sin in that situation? We can deal with that. Let's repent of that sin. Okay, yes, maybe I did sin, but also I was abused. And also I'm living in a situation of abuse or something that's really unhealthy. So, you know, um, that can be a drawback of non-professional counseling Um Perhaps the person doesn't exactly know what they're talking about. They might know their theology. They might know how to preach a great sermon. But when it comes to personal counseling, they might not know how to identify an abuse victim, how to identify what is healthy in a family, how to identify um, when they shouldn't be upholding the structure, when, when they shouldn't be encouraging the person in front of them to repent of sin, but they should be encouraging the person in front of them to ask, what is healthy for me? What do I need for myself and my kids? So, lots of pros, lots of cons. I would really encourage everybody, um, basically I would encourage everybody to do this, is to find a non-professional Christian pastor, trusted friend, to open up to as part of your journey. Um, But then I would encourage you to go beyond that to find some professional help because, you know, it because there's more help available. And most of us need more help uh there there's there's freedom that we can have uh we can grow in ways that we never imagined if we if we take hold of it and there's great tools out there all right so off i go to work again and we'll continue this podcast um we were talking about professional christian counseling and caring for the heart is the one i have um experience with they came to our church about 12 or 13 years ago and um, just came up and did a week-long seminar into counseling in the evenings and just listening to his message um, a man named Merv Tuplin talked and it really connected with me on a really deep level um, and my wife and I went home and uh, there was just a forget it's like so long ago um but her and I really kept talking and kept praying and I felt like God was able to change something deep in my heart to where I felt really accepted as a human being like the way a father should accept and love their child that's how I felt um and I feel like that was a turning point for me that everything changed on that moment um i talked about that um like the main thing that changed for me spiritually religiously was i felt like i didn't need to perform in the same way like i finally really got it as far as like yeah like god loves me i don't need to impress him uh and uh romans 8 
says that we have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out Abba Father like that really connected with me uh, and I have a few sermons where I've, kind of, I've cycled back to that a few times uh, one is um, holiness gone wrong one or two I forget which one and then uh, peace on earth was a more was one that I did about seven years ago and then um, not sure if I've cycled back to it again uh, but that was something from caring for the heart from somebody that understands the Bible but also understands that he's a professional counselor that's what he does and um, was able to use that material to go deep um, I got the material it, it's hard to get into caring for the heart because they do one week seminars where you like you and your wife or you alone go to this thing for one week and they do like a one week really intensive thing which is it's time it's hard to find a week to take off work it's hard to get travel out there so it took a long time to get us out to counseling with caring for the heart um, but I took a bunch of their material uh, it was really helpful for um, bitterness uh, like going deep in past memories and forgiving people because you know as Christians we know that we should forgive but it's it's hard to really forgive um, and so they have this basic formula of um, so-and-so has hurt me. Causing, this is what you pray. Uh, Father, uh, so-and-so has hurt me, causing me to feel. And then like you write it out, first of all. And you, they have a, a page of feeling words. And so you might feel offended. Well, deeper than that, it's, it's a violation of my rights. And like... Um, felt like they crossed my borders and they didn't respect me and they publicly shamed me all right so those are your your feeling words you know and then so you have this written out in this prayer template and then usually how it is is somebody says it to you and then you repeat it and there's something about that repeating after me formula that it seems to really be able to get deep into your heart because you're a different part of your brain is engaged and so then you pray something like so-and-so hurt me causing so-and-so did this action causing me to feel these three things and usually at that point you connect emotionally with yeah that really did hurt that really was wrong and then you say I will pay the emotional pain and consequences of their action which seems really counterintuitive it's like why should I have to pay for what they did but the reality is is when somebody hurts you it's gonna hurt and we try to say, I'm not going to feel that pain. They're going to feel the pain one day. One day I'm going to make them pay, you know, and I'm just going to hold on to not feeling it. And this prayer uh, works. It, it works. <laughs> you can disagree with the formula, but it works. Uh, to say, I'm going to pay that. And right there, you have your little cry. Not, not just a little cry. Like, it is hard. It is like one of the hardest things it feels like it's the hardest thing in the world to do when you're doing it forgiving somebody that does not deserve it that's been a jerk to you I will pay the emotional pain and consequences of their actions and sometimes you can see the disasters that their actions have caused in your life and you're like that's really really terrible but you just I will pay that I'm going to embrace that I'm going to accept that that happened it's I said in a recent sermon it's like grief it's like Yes, that happened. It was wrong. I am paying the price for that. 
and then you say, I forgive them. I will not make them pay the emotional pain and consequences of their actions. The emotional pain and consequences of their actions. They might still go to jail. They might still never see you again. They might still have, you know, other consequences. But the emotional, I'm not going to try and make them feel how I feel. Because my feelings are in my boundary. Their feelings are in their boundary. That's, I'm going to pay the emotional pain right now, right here with this counselor. And then you pray for God. You say, God, would you please take back the ground I gave to the enemy through bitterness and fill that place with your love. Or you can say with your Holy Spirit, whichever. It brings freedom. It brings freedom. So um, I've seen tremendous healing through that with my life and uh, keep going back to that. I kind of have it memorized and, you know, just the other day uh, at work, somebody was a real jerk to me and really bugged me. And I went back in the bathroom and kind of prayed through that and, and let it go, you know, and I was able to come out and still smarted a little bit, but I was able to proceed without having a wound. Uh, and, and by the end of the day, it was like, I can, I can continue doing work with this guy. He's not getting under my skin. Because when you're holding on to bitterness, people have power over you. Uh, they can get under your skin. When you forgive them, you know, you're able to move on with your life. So that's pretty key. Um, another thing that a Caring for the Heart does is they do a lot of listening prayer. So you're talking with the counselor and then they put a question to you and they say like, you know, um, ask Jesus where he was or like tell me a memory that about this and then like ask Jesus where he was or like as we're saying this like ask God to give you a, a mental picture of what your heart was like looked like when that happened you know and then like you see your heart in a cage or you see it torn up with barbed wire or something and then you know you forgive the person or you do something or you you talk more about it and then it's like Jesus what would you like to do with my heart and you can see your heart coming out of the cage or the, the barbed wire being taken away or something like that um, it, it's hard to summarize briefly but oftentimes uh, the counselor is able to kind of guide you with images and the Holy Spirit shows up and you have this mental picture to hold on to and it can change a core memory from something that's quite negative into something that's quite positive I don't know if any of you have seen the movie Inside Out. Our kids like it. We like it because it's like, wow, that was actually really profound uh, when you watch the movie. Every time we watch the movie, there's like new layers of like, wow, there's they really put some thought into thinking. <laughs> um, but the, the idea of that movie is you have, this girl has like five core memories. And one of the memories gets touched with sadness as she moves from her hometown. It's a young girl. And then her brain has to go through a journey of recovering that memory and touching it with both sadness and joy into, you know, so that she can have a good foundation for her life. And that's kind of what Caring for the Heart is able to do often, is going back into these memories and seeing Jesus there or having Jesus touch it or heal it in some way. And then there's, there's both sadness and joy, there's forgiveness and your core memory is a better foundation now uh, for life going forward. So that's Caring for the Heart in a nutshell. Great program. Um, all right, so we, we did training with them because we couldn't get into... They, had, they often have long waiting lines. After Africa, we did 
a week-long training session. And again, really new levels of healing and growth came off. And then um, after our burnout in 2015, uh, we finally got a session with them. And it just so much healed our marriage. Like I would credit our intimate, like our how close we are as a couple right now with our time at Caring for the Heart, uh, as well as, you know, we work on it and we, uh, it's not all their fault when <laughs> we also put energy into it, but um, they really, uh, it really made a big difference and I would recommend it, but it is hard. To, so that's the pros. It's a good program. The cons of, of this sort of thing, Caring for the Heart is hard to get into. Uh, it's hard to, there's a long waiting list. You have to take time off work. You have to find babysitters for your kid for a week. Uh, which is unfortunate. Um, I can't speak for all professional counseling centers. Um, some of them, honestly, as people are talking about them, they seem a little bit out there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't... I, I get a little bit leery when, again, everything is over-spiritualized and they're casting out demons and they're praying over you and stuff. It's like, that's great to a certain point, but, like, there actually are psychological problems and, like... Let's talk about memories. Let's talk about forgiveness. Let's talk about bitterness. Everything is like the Puritans talked about the world, the flesh, and the devil. You know, those are our three adversaries. And yes, you can have spiritual oppression. Satan can be in the mix. You can have demons. Yes. You can have spiritual warfare. But there's also the flesh, your your body. And there's also the world, you know, influences. What happened to you as a kid? What happened to you at work, you know, in school? So, um, perhaps some drawbacks with that. I feel like caring for the heart, one drawback of them is they overpromise. Uh, I feel as though in their training materials, it's like, once you come, like, we've had people healed from cancer, and like, you know, once people can forgive, like, you know, everything is just better. And it's true, you know, and, and oftentimes, especially the first time you go, it's like you're in crisis with your marriage, you're in crisis with something, depression or something and then they're able to make you like to to genuinely and sincerely make progress on some really key issues and you feel like wow like everything is better and sometimes there is a physical symptom that goes away because stress causes these sorts of stress makes you sick you know so if you if you deal with the issue sometimes you stop being sick um but I kind of wish they would refer people to other counselors sometimes. I, I've never... It's not part of the curriculum, I don't think. I took the training, the trainer's curriculum. Uh, and, and they're very negative about secular counseling. Um, we talk about how people go to them for, for years and years and they make progress. And then with our material, you know, in one week, all of a sudden they find all this healing. Which is true. It is true. But... What I personally have found is there have been issues that Caring for the Heart has not been able to deal with. Uh, and after Africa, I did a, long, a lot of sessions uh, over Skype with somebody and found freedom for a lot of things. But he wasn't able to really help with my accident and my post-traumatic stress. Uh, that was just something. It didn't work. And so, um, and, and there's some things for time management that uh, just a regular talk therapy that I'm going to talk about in a second was a lot more helpful than uh, caring for the heart. So it's it's part of it's part of the picture, as far as I'm concerned. It's it's a huge integral part. Um, 
we recently went to uh we've been to a lot of counseling i realize <laughs> no wonder uh I, it comes up in sermons um just this past september we went to a place called alongside which is specially for missionaries and pastors uh and we spent three weeks there uh doing counseling and every day we had talk therapy talking about our issues and um it was because of caring for the heart that I was able to make a lot of progress because the talk therapy uh, was able to find the issues. And then as I left, I was like, I have tools in my toolbox. I'm going to, you know, see you later, honey. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to go for a jog in the bush and I'm going to cry and I'm going to use the forgiveness prayer and I'm going to speak to Jesus and I'm going to visualize things. And I'm going to, and that's where I, that's where I found the healing. The The talk therapy brought up the issues and I went back to caring for the heart to um, find the healing. All right. Uh, so let's... I, I got a little bit lost in what I was trying to say there. But I hope that it made more sense to you than it does to me right now. Moving on to talk therapy. Talk therapy kind of grew out of... Uh, uh, Sigmund Freud did talk therapy. You know, lay on the couch and talk about your life. And then I'll kind of give you feedback on it and, and diagnose you with what I think you have. Carl Jung was his disciple. He took things in a different direction. And since him, there have been many influential people and less influential people who have come up with theories on how to do talk therapy. Um, and Rogers, uh, is it Carl Rogers? No, not Carl Rogers. Uh, anyways, there's Rogerian talk therapy is one of the types. There's a lot of different types of talk therapy. The the basis of talk therapy is somebody has a master's degree at least, sometimes a doctorate in counseling. So they know a lot about the brain. And by the way, um, we've learned a lot about the brain in the last 20, 30 years. Like a lot. Um, and this is something that's really cool listening to Jordan Peterson, who is a therapist. Um, so there's a psychologist and there's a psychologist and a psychologist. No, I said the same thing. There's two words that sound very similar that are slightly different. One can pres- one can prescribe meds, the other one can't. Uh, and, and the one that can prescribe meds is, you know, has more training and stuff like that. Um, but um, we've learned a lot about the brain. We've learned a lot about what is healthy emotionally, uh, what is a healthy, you know, family dynamic, what is an unhealthy family dynamic. And there's people that you know, are trained in this, oftentimes a town will have, our town here in Red Lake has a a counseling and addiction service where you can, the government pays for counseling, you can go and just be counseled, usually by talk therapy, usually somebody that's just going to talk through things, but has training and knows, you know, what is healthy. So the pros of that is it's really helpful just to have a listening ear, but not just any listening ear, but somebody that actually knows what is healthy. Uh, somebody that actually has some idea what normal human being behavior should be. Uh, might have some insights into how brains work. Uh, might have some insight into how brain chemistry work. Maybe there's, we mentioned bipolar. There's a lot of other conditions that can come into this. Um, that can just be really helpful. So some of the pros for that, it's often free. Uh, If you do some digging online in your area, you can probably find a free counselor. If not, it's available, it's cheap. Um, And you can look into recommendations, uh, ask around. There have been people that have gone to so-and-so and and tried 
that counseling. Um, some of the cons of this, um, again, as I mentioned, it feels as sometimes as though it brings up issues, but it doesn't deal with them. Uh, it often can, uh, with my burnout, uh, just going to a talk therapist. They don't call themselves talk therapists. They call themselves psychologists, but they do talk therapy. Um, and he did, he did some tests with, he asked me to do some tests and, uh, you know, so fill in the blank sort of tests and said, well, you're 95% burnt out. And so it was helpful for somebody, a professional to tell me that because I felt like I was burnt out. Um, but it's like, no, like you are burnt out. Uh, and he told me what burnout means. Um, and he told me, you know, physio- physiologically what was going on in my body. So those were helpful things to know. And then he told me about stress and how, you know, how to control it, how to minimize it. Uh, also that you do, you should have some high stress and then you should have some low stress, you know. And, and he told me that you should have, there's an 80-20 principle that generally in life, you should be doing what you like doing and that you're good at doing about 80% of the time. You're always going to do stuff that you hate sometimes, 20% say. Um, but you should never be in a situation where that is flipped. And at that point in time, it was kind of flipped. I was doing 80% of the time I was doing stuff I hated. Maybe 20% of the time I was doing something I liked. So it's like, you know, you, you should probably make some changes to your life. You know, it's really helpful stuff uh, to have those sorts of conversations. And they can have good conversations about, you know, your parents or your marriage or your kids or whatever. And like, well, you know, you said such and such. And, you know, do you really think that was a healthy response? You know, that kind of falls into this pattern. And, you know, so-and-so did this to you. Like, that kind of sounds to me like that was outside the bounds of what is normal and healthy. You know, like you might want to consider such and such. Um. So they could be really, really helpful. Again, kind of somebody to have in your court, somebody to have on your side. Um, but like at a certain point, you realize like a lot of this stuff comes down to this issue. You know, I had this problem in childhood where something didn't happen that should have happened. Or I had this extremely traumatic event uh, that happened. And now I have a lot of anxiety because of it, you know. And some therapists really have an, an ability to help you get past that. Jordan Peterson talks about how he's helped a lot of people get past their phobias and their anxieties. Um, but my experience with talk therapy is kind of like, well, looks like we made a lot of progress today. Have a good day. <laughs> and it's like, uh, all right, well, I just dug down to like the most painful thing in my life. Um, and I was hoping maybe we could fix it. And they're like, well we're done. See you later. We'll schedule you for next week so we can talk more about this. And it's like, well, ah, so that can be a downside depending who you're seeing and what tools are in their toolkit. Cause sometimes honestly, they like, they don't, they don't have a tool in their toolkit for fixing that. Um, and that's where caring for the heart. Actually, I find they're less qualified, they're less trained, but they have more of an ability to fix stuff, uh, in my experience. So that's kind of pros and cons in a, in a nutshell. It's it's huge. There's there's so many different methods. There's so many different people. It's it's but that's kind of in a nutshell. Um, talk therapy, and I would recommend doing it. And I'm doing it right now. I just figured out this place uh, in town, and actually a lot of people at our church are going to it. Uh, it's really great to be part of a community that cares about emotional health. All right, I'm gonna end it here and go to work. Bye.
All right, so the other thing uh, I wanted to mention briefly about talk therapy is um, sometimes it's free because your your town or something provides it, but often um, you can get benefits for it. Or if you, you know, um, get burnout, like you, um, you get time off work for burnout, uh, look into your your company policy. Um, you might be able to get counseling through your, your company's insurance or benefit package or something like that. But the type of counseling you're likely going to get is talk therapy. They won't cover, you know, Christian counseling, uh, and they might not cover some of the other counselings we're going to talk about in a second. Um, so the next counseling that I want to talk about is EMDR, and that this one is really cool. Uh, I had heard about it. Um, but then I experienced it, and it was—it uh, really helped with uh, my accident. It was uh, life-changing, I would say. Um, oh, you know, I said it was four, and then I said it was five, and now I'm going to mention a sixth one. There's one cool technology that they had at alongside, which was neural feedback, and what they—I mentioned that they've discovered cool things about the brain. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to tell you the whole story because it's cool and it's a podcast and it can go over an hour, it doesn't matter. Um, there was this guy researching in the 70s, uh, brain states, and it was very primitive and he was just hooking electrodes up to people's brains and seeing what happened when they did different things. And he had cats, he was a cat person, he had like, I guess, a bunch of cats, like 30 or 40 of them. And he was noticing a cat right before it would pounce, it would you know, focus on something and his tail would kind of slowly move back and forth and twitch a little bit and then boom, it would pounce on a ball or a mouse or whatever. And he was wondering like, what is that brain state? What, what is it, what is going on inside the cat's mind when he's focusing and he's just ready to pounce? And he assumed that the brain state, like there'd be a lot of electricity going through the brain. The way that the brain works is there's a whole bunch of little connectors and it shoots electricity through the little connectors. Not electricity, but basically electricity goes back and forth. So the more electricity is is happening, the more thoughts are happening, basically. I'm not a scientist. It's been a while since I watched this little presentation. But basically, the more electricity there is um, and the faster the waves, um, those are the two ways they can measure the types of thoughts. Anyways... Um, so he drilled little electrodes into his cat's heads. Nice guy. Uh, and he hooked up wires to them. And he found out that uh, when a cat is in this focused state, it's not actually, his brain isn't going really fast. Um, but there's this, it's actually a calm state. Uh, he, the cat is very calm and very focused. Um, so it's not like, you know, when you go to sleep, your brain waves really drop off. Uh, when you're hyper and stressed, your brain waves are up there and crazy. EMDR is, or uh, what is it called? Um, I forget what it's called. But there's a certain name for that brain state when you're like in a focused state. And uh, so he thought, I wonder if I can train these cats to be focused like this. And so he rigged up this thing where if they were focused like this, they would get a little treat. And so, and after a short amount of time, the, the cats would actually, 
their brains would actually get trained to where they can make treats fall out. Um, because the brain figured out that it should go into this state of calm and focus. Flash forward 10, 15 years or something. No, not that long. A few years later, um, NASA was having trouble because uh, their astronauts were going into seizures uh, because they were fueling the, the shuttle and something about the fumes was making them have seizures. So they sent out, but they really needed apparently a certain rocket fuel. <clears throat> and so the government set out this appeal to all specialists, please help us to figure out how to help our workers not have seizures. So um, this doctor packed up his cats and they went off to NASA and, uh, you know, he did experiments on a bunch of cats and and, uh, tried to make them not have seizures. And weird thing happened was 10 of his cats out of like 40 didn't have seizures. Like there was supposed to be a control group that would have seizures and then we'd try different things on them and make them not have seizures. But 10 of them right away did not have seizures. And he was looking at them and, and trying to do tests and then like, for weeks on end trying to figure out what it was about these certain cats that they didn't have seizures and then he figured out oh I did my brain training on these cats and there's something about because the the brain had learned it's not as though the cat consciously had figured this out but the brain itself like the mechanism of the brain had figured out you will get a reward if you go into this calm state um, it somehow that had rewired the brain to be more calm and it didn't have seizures. And he was like, this is really cool. So then, um, neurofeedback was developed, uh, in the late seventies as a way to treat seizures. Also a way to help people focus and to calm down their mind, to get out of that like rapid, like, um, crazy state to get down to a calm down state of mind um, because there is, you know, it's, it's chemicals. It's, it's a physical thing. Uh, like your brain is, it's physical and, um, and, and it can learn, it can, it can be trained just like a muscle can be trained. Um, so anyways, they, they hooked my wife and I and one of our sons up to uh, this thing at alongside. It was just electrodes uh, clipped to your earlobes and, uh, and stuck to your head and they actually measured brain waves and um my wife and son were fine uh and for myself they could tell that in a certain region of the brain my brain was going in overdrive when it should be calm and and so then we did I did this training for like I did about 10 or 15 sessions it seemed to help uh I don't really have empirical proof that it did anything but it seemed to help me have overall focus and there's this cool story about it so anyways neural feedback that's what it is uh so so the way that they used to do this is you would hook up these things to your earlobes and then put an electrode on part of your brain and it would measure the electricity and you would stare at this green light and if your brain started doing things it shouldn't do then the light would turn red and they would tell you try and make the the light turn green and you would just stare at this light and try and make it turn green. And then it would turn green, it would turn red, turn green. And you would just sit there and stare at a light turning from red to green. And you'd be done. You'd do that for 45 minutes an hour. And it worked, oddly enough. Um, but now it's a lot more uh, sophisticated. And what they do is uh, you watch a movie. And as you're watching the movie, 
um, it, the movie will freeze if your brain isn't doing what it's supposed to do. And then once your brain calms down a bit, then it will continue. And it automatically, the, the software automatically figures out, like, if you're really frantic and, and maybe you were late getting to the appointment or whatever, and your brain is at a high rate, then it'll move the bar up higher uh, so that you're, you know, you're, you're able to watch enough of the movie that you're still engaged. And, uh, you know, if you're really calm, then it will move the, the bar lower so that you're still learning something. So anyways, you just watch the movie and it freezes. But after a few minutes of, you know, you get into the movie and you don't really notice and then your brain kind of does its work and it, it calms it down. So um, if you have seizures, if that's a thing for you, uh, you might want to look into neurofeedback. It's this cool technology, doesn't hurt. You just have to go to somebody that that's trained but because of the software you don't really need a lot of training so there's there's neurofeedback centers around um don't know what it costs because ours was included in the um in the package that we had um also helps for kind of add hyperactivity sort of thing because it, it helps your brain get into that calm um man it's on the tip of my tongue what it's called the calm state Anyways, it, it helps your brain get into that calm, focused state that, that we want to be able to be in. So that's that. Um, EMDR, another cool story, um, how they developed EMDR, is um, around the 70s or 80s, a psychologist was walking in a park, and she was quite bothered about something. And as she was walking and thinking about this thing, her eyes were going back and forth on the trail and you know looking at this and that and then she realized hey I feel a lot better about whatever it was that was bothering me and she thought that's interesting and as a scientist as a psychologist she thought no there's something different about how I feel about this something has changed inside of me it's not just that time has passed but like something happened on that walk so what is it that happened and she figured out that it was the eye movement, moving your eyes back and forth, back and forth. And the reason for this is that they, you know, they did a whole bunch of tests and a whole bunch, a whole field of science was, of research was opened up studying this phenomenon because other people found the same thing empirically that when you move your eyes back and forth, you, you can resolve things in your mind. So your mind has a left hemisphere and a right hemisphere. Most of you guys know this. Your and your left hemisphere controls the right side of your body. Your right hemisphere controls the left side of your body. And they're connected with, um, oh, what's it called? Little wire thingies in the brain. <laughs> um, and they talk to one another. And usually, you know, your, your left side of the brain, which is connected to the right side of your body, controls more of your reason and your math and your science and your what is known. And then your right side of your brain... Uh, is more of your art and your poetry and the daring and adventurous part of you and what is not known. So it's kind of this yin and yang kind of connection between your brain. Also you have, um, and, and so when you look left, right, left, right, left, right, what you're doing is you're activating both sides of your brain. When you look left, you tend to activate one side of your brain more than the other when you look right you tend to activate more that side i don't know if 
I'm not sure if it crosses or not for eyeballs, but when you go back and forth quickly enough, it both sides of your brain light up equally. So that's part of the equation, is that it's, it's lighting up both sides of your brain. The other side of it is when I was actually doing the therapy with the guy. Um, first of all, he, he worked with me and was like, let's imagine a safe place, you know, so that you have some frame of reference. And then we'll go into the traumatic thing of talking about the accident. So first of all, we talked about a safe place, you know, and imagine what that would be like. And I thought about running and that was kind of my go-to thing. Anyways, then we started talking about the accident and I started talking about it like, well, this is what happened and this is what else could have happened. And this is what I should have done. And, but then I did this and he's like, no, 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 just pretend you're in a train and you're watching things go by the window of the train. And you're not telling me about what's happening. Just tell me what's actually happening. And it took a lot of work um, because I had spent so much time like focusing on what like intellectually should have happened or I should have done or what it meant. And he kept pushing me to say, just tell me what happened. Just tell me the events. Now, how he described to me, now, I'm not a brain scientist. I'm not an expert in this. But how he explained to me is the brain kind of has three regions. And I've heard this from other people. But then I saw a sketch that maybe said it was more, it's way more complicated than this. But basically, you have three sections of your brain. Sometimes it's called the, the reptilian brain or the lizard brain. That's close to your brain stem that covers your vital functions, your your uh, fight or flight instinct, your basic, your your involuntary movements, your sense of smell and and different things like that. And that's, you know, in the center of your brain and lower. It, more in the back part of your head and the middle is what's sometimes called the mammalian brain. That mammals have this, reptiles don't. Uh, and it has more advanced brain functions. It has things that that are voluntary movements, um, not just involuntary. And then the front of the head is the prefrontal cortex, I'm pretty sure. And that's what, where humans spend most of their time thinking about things and having impulse control. Animals don't have impulse control. They just do what their instincts tell them. We have impulse control, which is why if you get a traumatic brain injury in the front of your head, uh, it can cause somebody to to do things um with no impulse control it can be very damaging to their life um traumatic brain injury tbi um I have a friend that's got a relative that's going through that it's really difficult to watch um but so there's these different regions in the brain and we spend most of our time in in the prefrontal cortex thinking about this is what I should do. This is what I shouldn't have done. This is the right thing to do. This is what other people should do. This is, you know, the ideas about thoughts, about things I am I should do. And he kept pushing me to say, stop being up there. Go back further in your brain and just watch what's happening. Just watch what's happening. And uh, so oh, I forgot to mention the technology for EMDR, they used to have lights that would flash back and forth. <clears throat> now what they have is little handheld things where 
there are lights and it also vibrates and you can adjust the intensity of the lights and the vibrations. I closed my eyes and just used the vibration so I could feel bzz, 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 left, right, left, right, left, right. And that was enough to stimulate the left, right uh, hemispheres of my brain. And it kind of, like it wasn't intense, but it kind of put me a little bit in a meditative state. And also intentionally, I was kind of closing my eyes and thinking about what happened, focusing on it. So it was kind of a little bit of, we're going inside of ourselves now. You know, it's a little bit of a calming, in inward focusing time. And, you know, it took two sessions. We kept getting distracted with other things, which was really great. But the two sessions we spent on the accident kind of went through step by step by step what happened. And the first time I said, you know, like, that's what happened. You know, and it, it just felt so significant to say that. That is what happened. You know, I was kidnapped. I was dragged down the street. I was brought to a small room. You know, I was threatened. This is what happened. And it, it like, it felt like a funeral to me in an odd way. Like, it wasn't tragic, but it felt like we've honored the significance of something happening. It was significant. It happened. I don't know how I can say it other than that. It just, it happened. And for all this time, I've been trying to process what I should have done, which, you know, is a relevant question, you know, and when you have a traumatic event, you want to figure out what you should have done and if, if you can avoid in the future. But it was like, yes, but also this happened, you know, this, this happened and it left a mark on you. And now it's done because I'm not there anymore. It's not happening now anymore. We're, we're going to put this on the shelf because now it's done. And he said, that's exactly what, what EMDR does because when we have a traumatic event, often it's so troubling for the brain that it's trying to figure out in the prefrontal cortex what it should have done, what it shouldn't have done, like trying to fix this problem. And that's exactly what showed up on the neural feedback that my brain is trying to figure out this problem. And it was incidentally the, what side is this? The right hemisphere about midway back was activated. Um, and I could actually feel headaches uh, specifically in that region when we did EMDR and neurofeedback. I could tell that spot right there <laughs> was where my neurons were like, ah! Anyways. Um, when you do EMDR and hypnotherapy that I'm going to talk about in a second, well, actually I'll probably talk about that tomorrow because it is late. But when you do these sorts of therapies, it has a way of like, okay, we can, you know, imagine there's a little secretary running around saying, ah, this terrible thing happened. Ah, I don't know what to do. Ah. And the deeper wisdom of the brain is able to come up and say, okay, tell me what happened, you know? And, and the, the crazy secretary sits down and says, this is what happened, this is what happened. Okay, okay. Yeah, that happened. That was really bad. Tell me what else. That happened too. Okay, okay. And now we're going to take that and we're going to put it on the shelf. And it's done, you know. And the second time we did it, so he had he had guided me like, how would you... 
what's the key statement you would say about your belief about that event? And I would, I said like, I was an ignorant white guy that got in over my head, basically, is what, what I said about it. Something like that. And he said, what would you like to believe? And I didn't really know what I wanted to believe. I wanted, I said something about like, I, well, I want to believe that, I don't even know what I said. But he, he mentioned at one point that sometimes the deep wisdom of your mind, as you're doing this, will come up and comment on the event. And as I was doing this, and there was other things that actually came out in a sermon I preached recently, but there were other things happening in therapy and counseling that also helped. And I realized I was able to see how God had rescued me through this event. And the deep wisdom of my mind really affirmed that and found more and more and more ways that God had rescued me. And by the time I was done, I saw there were seven specific people and also the army, <laughs> which is something I can't go into detail on, was ready to save me and, and, was, and were saving me. So there was that. But also something I realized was I was competent. I actually, based on the information I had, I did really good. I did really good. I was very smart. I was very savvy. I tried one thing. When it didn't work, I pulled back, tried something else. When that didn't work, I pulled back, tried something else. That worked. Um, and I went with that. And I continue with that mode of, of being. Um, I was competent. And the statement that I ended up saying is, I'm competent. And my God is always coming to save me. And I realized that that was true. That was 100% true. And that is 100% what happened. Is bad things happened. I almost died. But I was competent. And my God came to save me. Um, and uh, that changes things. Uh, that really made a difference. Um, something else... I meant to mention before talking about this is, you know, it really impacted me to realize like I almost died. And that was something as I left the second therapy session, like kind of leaned on the door frame and was like, this was a near death experience. I almost died, you know, honoring that, um, feeling the impact of it, you know, up to this point, I had been so feeling so guilty about the things I hadn't done right. I hadn't taken the time to just be like, wow. Like, I almost died. That's intense. That, that's deep. But then the other side of it is to say, but I was competent. I got out of there in large part because I had a pair of balls and I used them wisely. I used my courage wisely. Uh, I was savvy. I was competent. And God came to save me in spades, you know. And now, <clears throat> you know, my brain used to be running a million miles. Part of my brain was always activated, trying to figure that out, that accident, even when I wasn't thinking about it. Like, I felt like I had dealt with it. I, de I dealt with it with talk therapy. I had dealt with it with caring for the heart. I had talked about it. I had preached about it. I had felt like it was dealt with. I didn't want to talk about it. It was it caused me anxiety when I would start to think about it. But I felt like 
I'm fine. Like, I'm not dealing with it. My, my wife kept telling me, like, that's not done. You need to deal with that. And I was like, it's fine. Like, but I did the EMDR and I realized, yeah, she's right. I I was thinking about that a lot. My brain was always activated and thinking about that. And once I dealt with it, it's like where there was that anxiety and stress and me running in circles now there's this deep bedrock truth that says I am competent and my God is always coming to save me and that makes me a warrior like you know like I just got a job sometimes first day of work can be a little bit scary you know and people show up and they're gruff and, and whatever. And, you know, I was kidnapped and I got out of it. And my God rescued me. You don't scare me. You know, I find myself going back to that cornerstone over and over. Like, I am strong. I'm a force to be reckoned with. Why? Because I'm competent. And my God is always coming to rescue me. That's why. And because my brain believes that at an incredibly fundamental level. So that's what EMDR did for me. Um, Might not work for everybody. Uh, A lot of time when I was doing it, I felt like it's not really doing anything. Like I'm kind of talking through it, but it's not really, I don't feel anything. Um, part of the session was like, he just kept saying like, well, what do you feel in your body? And I was like, I don't know. I don't feel anything. And he's like, well, I'll just keep thinking. And it's like, well, I feel a little bit cold around my spine. I don't know. It's like, well, keep going with that. And I'm like, I, I don't know. Was it, was it doing something? I don't know. <laughs> um, maybe, I don't know. And it kind of got cut short because it like, I kept thinking of more and more details and he was like, ah, we've got like five minutes left, like wrap it up. And, but it, it feels like it worked, uh, despite the awkwardness and despite the times that it felt like he wasn't doing anything. So anyways, that's EMDR. Uh, if you've been through something really traumatic, um, I'd recommend it. Uh, if you've been through, if you've had a day like Job had where, Everything fell apart in one day. Or you've been a victim of... Um, let's just say it. If you've been raped. Uh, if you've been beaten and robbed. If you've had some trauma like that. If you've been kidnapped or something. But even if it's been more cumulative. But you've been in a very unsafe place for a long time. EMDR could really help uh, to unplug those things. Because it's it's able to go deep. So that's what talk therapy is not able to do. Talk therapy was able to say, okay, well, you're stressed right now because you were kidnapped four years ago. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Like, duh. (laughs) But EMDR was able to, to, like, get into that thought and reprogram it and fix it. So that was cool. All right. Why do these podcasts always have to go so long? I should probably wrap it up there. I think I'm just going to keep going and make this into a really long podcast, but I'm going to be done for now. No, I want to say one more thing before I'm done. Since we're on the topic of PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome, um, since finding healing for it, 
I notice it in movies a lot more. We watched a uh, TV series called Night Shift on uh, Amazon Prime. I'm not recommending it. I'm just saying we watched it. Uh, and the guy had PTSD uh, from war. And they portrayed it really well. I was like, I know exactly what he's going through. Um, and uh, he finally found help for it. And that was really neat to see. But then he continued to have relapses and, and struggle even after he got help, which was also nice to see and accurate that it's it's messy, you know, and you think, well, this is just a small thing, but it's it's not a small thing. Uh, and your brain, like, there's no time scale on how long it takes to get fixed. It's Your brain is not a car. And once your brain... You know, your your brain is designed to keep you alive. And when you almost die, your brain's like goes into a certain stress mode where it's like, all right, we're in a life and death situation. You will not die. I'm going to make sure you don't die. And you got to honor that. You got to respect that your brain is able to do that because that's that's kept our ancestors alive for many years. But it can it can short circuit. And currently, you're not in a life and death situation. I mean, for me, it's like, I'm not going back there in any... <laughs> I don't think I'm ever going back there, but certainly not in the near future. I, that's in a different country. I'm not going to be in that situation. So you can calm down now, brain, but the brain doesn't calm down. That's where the problem lies, is sometimes the brain gets stuck. And you know what it's like... For somebody with PTSD, I, I I don't want to minimize it, like my experience. But I, I will say that I have less PTSD than other people have had. I, don't, I want to say that cautiously because I want to recognize that what I had was significant. Um, but how I would describe it is like it's, you know how like sometimes, like say you got really bad news or you had a terrible day at work and like you might be getting fired or something like is really weighing on you. But you don't want to say it to your kids and you don't want to say it to your wife. And so you're just thinking in your mind about like, man, I just like totally messed up at work. And like, how am I going to fix that? And like, oh man, I like crashed the company truck, you know, or whatever you did. And like, so-and-so is going to be so mad at me and he's going to say this. And then oh, I'm going to have to try and do this. And like, and and your your mind is is in that mode, you know, and you're distressed and there's impending doom and you're trying to figure something out and your brain is sending resources that way. And then your kid comes up to you and is like, Hey daddy, Hey daddy, let's play, let's play, let's play. And you're kind of like, I don't feel like it, you know? And your wife is like, Hey, let's, let's talk and, and be interested in me and what I have to say. And you're like, you know, I'm kind of busy and maybe you're a good husband and and you work hard to be present with her. But like your brain is like, like there's more important things for me to focus on right now. I need to figure out what to do about work. And it can make you irritable and it can make you feel like, I just need to figure this out. And, and, and you're, you're mad and you know, and your anger has nothing to do with what's going on in front of you. And then you kind of like, Manage to push that out of your conscious mind. Maybe somewhere in your brain is still kind of thinking about it, but you're you're here in the moment, you're focused, you're calm, you're having a good day. And then all of a sudden something happens. 
it, let's just say it's you you crashed a company truck and you're trying to forget about it for the weekend, but you know it's coming on Monday. And you're having a good day and stuff like that, and then you you walk out and you see your car, and it reminds you that oh shoot, I co- crashed a company truck, and then you're right back there, and thinking about those thoughts, and you're mad at yourself, and you can't believe you did that, and you're you're worried about impending doom, and you're trying to fix this problem, and you're round and round in circles, and you you have flashbacks, and you have you know you're you're stressed again. That's what it feels like to have PTSD. Um, and what's crazy is it happens so subconsciously that it's like in hindsight now that it's more resolved, a lot more resolved. I, I'm tempted to say it's resolved, but like, I don't know. Um, I want to leave space for the possibility that there's more healing to happen. But it feels significantly better since EMDR. Since then, I can kind of look back and be like, Man, I was processing that like a lot, like 50% of my waking hours or like 10%, I don't know exactly, but a lot. I was consciously thinking about that accident, thinking about how I might talk about it, thinking about how I could have done it differently, thinking about how I could write to people that are still living there to tell them how if they're in this situation, they could avoid it in this and this and this way. Just thinking about it a lot. And now that it's, I'm, I'm not thinking about it. Um, and when I think about it, it's not traumatic in the same way. It's still not really my favorite thing to talk about or think about. But it doesn't hurt in the same way to think about it. It doesn't bring me right back there to those emotions. Um, so that, I hope, uh, if you're listening to this and thinking like, wow, that is me. Okay, well, maybe you have something similar to PTSD. PTSD was discovered with, you know, soldiers returning from war and they had very characteristic symptoms. But we're realizing more and more that you can get PTSD from bad parenting. You can get PTSD from marrying a jerk. You can get PTSD from, you know, having a a crisis, a near miss on the highway, having a whole bunch, a whole variety of things. You can have similar symptoms. And because there's this body of research that was mostly started by focusing on soldiers returning from war, there's help for it and there's understanding for it. And once you get that label for it, then you can start finding books online. You can start finding research and you can unravel your mess. Um, You can can find healing and help that part of your brain be like, whoa, calm down. We're not in crisis anymore. We're not in emergency anymore. You can... You can relax. Uh, all is well. Uh, because when you when the brain knows that all is well, then the body knows all is well. And then you can sleep. And then you can be present for your wife. And then you can be present for your kids. And then you can be present for what's happening in front of you. Instead of trying to fix a problem that happened a long time ago that, you know, is already fixed or, you know, is 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 not is not happening right now. All right, so I want to talk about hypnotherapy. It's already an hour and a, an hour and twenty minutes. I think I'm going to have a separate podcast for hypnotherapy. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I do know I'm going to stop podcasting now because it is three in the morning. <laughs> I'm working shift work, and I need to sleep. So goodbye.
And we're back. I got a few minutes here while I watch uh, the little guy. Um, we'll see if I have the ability to finish up this podcast and get her done. It's turning out to be quite the long podcast, but um, there's a lot to say about counseling. So today, today I went to church and um, I thought of two things I wanted to mention in addition to what I had said as cons for um, for Christian counseling. I think I will do something about, like do a podcast just on the emotional, like the emotionally unhealthy things that, that can happen in a church or in Christian settings. That's not to knock the Christian religion. That's not to knock... Um, spirituality and going to church I, I mean um, and that's not to say that Jesus doesn't save and that you know a huge part of what is wrong with the human soul is that we need Jesus um, but that's not the only thing that's wrong uh, so for example uh, as I was listening to the sermon I thought of the, the pastor didn't say it but I thought of Mark Driscoll who I listened to a lot really appreciate his sermons um but he, Mark Driscoll, likes to say it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And it's true. It is all about Jesus. And he talks about his his counseling that he does at his church and he's trained other people to counsel like he counsels. He likes to say you don't have an alcohol problem. You have a worship problem. You don't have, you know, a depression problem. You have a worship problem. So, you know, you're idolizing alcohol or you're idolizing something. And you need to get back to worshiping Jesus and that's probably true a lot of the time but if you think of like what I went through there was no problem with idolatry it was just a straight up matter of going through a traumatic event and needing to find healing from that uh, and my brain needing to understand at a deep fundamental level that I am not a danger anymore um and you know like when I went through burnout it was like I just need to understand um, that I'm working too much and um, understand how to to manage my stress and my time so it's not always all about Jesus it's not always a question of idolatry and worship it usually is and pastors um, can do a great deal of help because um, those are the aspects that are often neglected by talk therapy is worship and um, and sin and things like that. But it's not the only thing there is. Um, also, um, you know, it's true that everyone's a sinner, but it's not true that all sins are equal. So this is something that yeah, uh, the, the pastor said something and it sparked my thinking in that direction. Not not that his, his sermon was off, but just like, we are all sinners, true, you know. But that the, if you don't watch it, you can, you can start thinking and you can start saying that all sins are equal, we're all sinners. Therefore, nobody is a worse sinner than anybody else. But that's not true. There are some sins that really, really hurt us. And all sins make us equally sinful before God and under his wrath and needing salvation. 
But there are some evil people in this world that you need to get away from because they are wicked and they will destroy you. And they have issues, they have problems in their lives. And if you read the Psalms, it talks about wicked people, wicked, wicked people, a lot. Deliver me from evil people, wicked men. It doesn't say, teach me to get along with them. It says, deliver me. And uh, abuse, there's cycles of abuse, and this is well known, documented, that, um, well, okay, and like the other thing that somebody might say is there's two sides to every story. And I've heard of Christian counselors saying this to like a woman who's abused. And it's like, yeah, I mean, everybody's a sinner. She's not perfect. Maybe she did something, but she didn't do anything to deserve what she got. Or a man. Men get abused too. Um, um, sometimes there isn't two sides of the story. Or sometimes it's, okay, maybe there's something that you need to repent of. But that doesn't excuse what happened to you. And unfortunately, Christians can sometimes shame the victim and, and prop up the abuser or protect the abuser. Um, abuse has uh, cycles. There's silence. The abuser goes silent. You don't know why. And all of a sudden, boom, out of the blue comes some abuse, something physical, verbal, financial, something that is wrong. And then there's a period of pulling away in silence. And then there's apologies and making up. And sometimes the abuser apologizes. Sometimes the abuser, more more often the abuser says something like, well, the reason I did this was da 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 so kind of excusing themselves and also, you know, shifting the blame to the other person. Well, you know, I was having a bad day, la la la. And then you came in with how your tone of voice and, and the way you were dressed and, and whatever. And that's what set me off. And in a dysfunctional relationship, then the abused person, the victim, will feel obligated to apologize and that will make things better when the victim apologizes and takes the blame and also accepts the abuser's explanation of why the abuse happened okay well i understand you're having a bad day and i understand you know i guess i shouldn't have spoken to you in that tone of voice and i shouldn't have worn that dress that you hate and um you know i'm sorry for that okay i'm sorry too and let's kiss and make up and then there's a period of peace and then it happens again and again and again and again. And we need to be able to say to somebody, we need to be able to pick up on this and not just say, okay, well, there's two sides to every story and I'm glad he's, he's repented now, so let's forgive him, you know, 70 times 7 and, and let's just trust and, you know, love believes all things, hopes all things. Let's just believe that he's going to get better. It's like, no, at a certain point, no. You need to get yourself safe. You need to get your kids safe. You need to get to a place where, you know, your kids aren't seeing dysfunction. Your kids aren't. Your kids are seeing that it's not right to be treated this way. If you if your kids are treated that way, you would want them to leave. So you need to leave, and that hopefully can be a wake up call for the abuser to understand. Look, you can't treat people like this and expect them to stick around. So. Yeah, there's a lot to be said. I'll probably repeat this stuff and, and say more when I talk about um, emotionally unhealthy things that can happen in Christian counseling. I'm not saying it will all the time. Um, I find that 
well, in my circle anyways, more and more people are getting, more and more Christians are getting educated on emotional health and counseling and, and good tools. Um, but it is, you know, something that can happen. All right. Um, off to work again. And I'm going to try really hard to wrap up the podcast. Um, so, Facebook meme, I remember SMR. SMR state uh, is, is what they were aiming for with the EMDR. I don't know, with, uh, <laughs> with neural feedback. That guy with the cat, with the, uh, you know, electrodes in the cat brain, um, what it's called when a cat is, is focused, or when a, when a person's brain is really focused, it's called an SMR brain state. And I don't know what that stands for, but there was some video game on Facebook that was planning to produce an SMR state. I thought, not likely, but thank you very much for those that action because there it is. You can Google it and empower yourself with that information. So the last thing I want to talk about is hypnosis. And um, took a second to think about what I could share, and I realized everything from my hypnotherapy experience is too personal, so I can't share ministry. So I'm going to try on the fly to kind of make something up. Um, so, yeah, we went through a pretty rough time. Well, we've we been through a lot of rough times. Uh, but recently, uh, kind of some of the stuff from after kind of come cycling back in my life has had some, some anxiety with that. And uh, I've shared a bit on Facebook about that here and there. And, you know, we're still, um, and I, I mean, I've got PTSD from Africa and stuff. And, we, you know, we're dealing with our issues. And, um, my wife is having a really hard time finding a counselor that she really clicked with. And then... Also, she finds somebody, and it was kind of talk therapy, and it was kind of like, here's the issues, but like, not, nothing is being resolved. And it's just, yeah, I know I have stress because I don't, you know, live through a life in that situation, like, but how do we get help for this? And so she had a friend on, on Facebook that, um, well, I can promote her. It's Sean Calvin Sell. You can look her up on Facebook. Uh, I recommend her as a therapist, and she's online, and she can find you anywhere. I mean, you can find her anywhere. <laughs> I don't want that to be um, So there you go, a little promotion there for free. Um, and, uh, yeah, she's like, well, let's just do this. And uh, it really, really helped. Uh, she did a, a hypnotherapy session with her. And then as things progressed, then, uh, some of my issues became more pronounced, and we kind of couldn't find anybody that was available. Um, sometimes you just kind of need therapy now, and it's like, yeah, we'll see you in a month. And it's like, no, we need something now. And so um, I never thought I would be hypnotized. therapy. I've just been made. Like, I don't want to be hypnotized. Um, and I don't want to, you know, it just seems wrong. Uh, and I am a Christian, and I do believe in demons and angels and stuff. And I don't want to be giving any I don't want to be entering into a semi conscious state where my guard is down and where any sort of a spiritual presence is on I know that a lot of people would not wouldn't believe that way. Um, but um, there's my belief. And I think a lot of Christians also believe that. So um 
I figured I'd give it a try. And what my wife said is, you know, she talks about, you know, like, then the light comes into you. And then she just kind of turned it into a prayer and you welcome Jesus into you. And, you know, instead of kind of, you know, if you can just transform the images into prayers to Jesus and you can just work it out. Um, and so I did that. And um, so the thing you know about hypnotherapy is you're not actually hypnotized. I guess there might be, I'm not going to there might be layers, levels of hypnosis. I will put a caveat that, I mean, it should have depends who you saw. And hypnotherapy is, it is apparently regulated. Um, there is a board, there is sort of tool, um, but it's far less, you don't get a master's or something like that. Um, I don't know if there's a governing board. Uh, maybe I'll talk and tell me afterwards, and if they all put a little addendum at the end, if, if there's a governing board or some, some way of regulating. But I'm just going to say off the fly that might be, like any, well, like any other type of counseling, it's going to test you again. So, you know, go by recommendation. And you want to find somebody that, if they don't embrace your beliefs, at least they're respectful of your beliefs. And that's what my experience So, basically, what it is, is it's kind of like a fictional story that the two of you are telling together, but you you do put yourself in a very relaxed state and it starts off like one time she's like you're walking down a hill and as you're walking, you know, you're seeing yourself go lower and lower, seeing more and more peaceful and she's kind of guiding you through this. Like I was fully awake. I could hear the kids in the next room. You know, I could have opened my eyes and got up. But then like <laughs> my therapy session would have been wasted and I was paying money for it. So you know, I was trying to focus on what she's saying and did feel more relaxed and then it was like we kinda of knew where we were going, we were talking more. And then it's like, okay, well, you're walking in a forest, you know, and, and just ask your mind, and your, these trees are all memories, and, and just ask your mind when it's time to stop, you know, you can stop at a tree, and, you know, you just, in, in your mind, you're imagining stopping at a tree, and, and your subconscious kind of says, oh, this is the tree, stop that. Or sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't really work and you get kind of going through the motions. But often it's like, yeah, this tree. And then you say something like, well, look up in the branches and what do you see? Oh, I see such and such. Okay, well, what does this represent for you? Maybe there's somebody back there that you realize, oh, like, it wasn't really healthy what happened there. Uh, so you identify that. Or that was a situation where I felt really powerless. And um, a couple times she said, like, well, you know, it seems like at that moment, uh, your body needed um, that person with a real threat, or that situation with a real threat. You think that we could just tell your body that that situation is not a threat anymore? Yeah, I think you probably could, you know, and, and mentally, you know, how do you visualize that happening? How many people take the pit out of that and just say, this isn't significant in the brain? And, um, like, it, it's almost childish, like, it almost sounds silly. Uh, but it worked, and um, she would often say, like, ask your subconscious this, and it seemed as though, as we were in this state, because, again, we, this is where we had just talked about the parts of the brain, the, the prefrontal cortex, where we have logic and reason and rationality and impulse control, and then we have further back parts of your brain, and we tend to call that the subconscious, and the subconscious doesn't have like 
because language is in the prefrontal cortex. So right, there isn't a way to communicate with the deeper parts of the brain other than images and thoughts and emotions and memories, like a smell or something like that. So if you want to communicate with more of your brain, and this is what you know, the art is for me when I thought hypnotherapy, different techniques, uh, but very, very similar in what it actually produced, is I was able to help my brain talk to itself. Because you have, when you have a bad thing happen, part of your brain ends up going in turbocharged and trying to figure this out when the rest of the brain is not, they're not communicating. It's like a couple where like the guy is off in his bedroom super angry about something and, and his wife could help him with that, but they're not talking with something. And so there's this ability to, you know, ask your subconscious what, what it would mean to do this or what it would mean to do that. And then the hypnotherapist would have a lot of training in, in certain patterns of images so they're proven effective. And I don't know how those proved it. It was a trial and error if it was people studying Paul Young and, and reading archetypes or whatever. But, um, you know, well, okay, this is what I consider. I have talked, have I talked in the past? I had a big breakthrough on understanding things, and I'm going to speak on it soon. So probably by the time that you hear this podcast, there will be a sermon on shame on my podcast. Because I realized that God has healed my guilt through Jesus Christ, but I carry around shame. Uh, and those are two different things. Shame, guilt is what I, bad feelings for what I have done. Shame is bad feelings for feeling unworthy, and especially for things that people have pushed on me. And this is not my, my trap, but I feel shame because there's crap on me. And getting rid of the shame is realizing this is not my trap. And so she was. We were in a different direction, but she was asking me why I was so hard on myself. And um, there was something about, this is a while ago now, uh, but she asked me what, like to visualize that, like you're holding this in your hand, this thing that makes you so hard on yourself. And I said, it looks like a chubby little snake. And she said, well, ask the snake what it wants. Because, and I, you know, I was just going off the top of my head, like just the first thing that comes to mind, you know, just answer the question. And I said, who wants to control me and dominate me. Well, what would it feel like if it could have complete control of me? And I said something like, you would feel victory and triumph. And she said, well, just imagine your body just burning through your golden liquid and just feed your snake all the golden liquid that you can possibly cram into your stuff. And apparently that's a thing. That's a way to communicate with your subconscious brain. I know it sounds weird. I know it sounds borderline demonic. I was a little bit I was a little bit weird about it, but I did it. Like, mentally, I just, I just make a bunch of golden liquid until the snake got bigger, 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 and then kind of dissolved it to dust. He said, what, what do you see instead of the snake? He said, something else. And I said, I see a golden retriever. He said, that's interesting. What does the golden retriever want? And I said, I think it wants to love me unconditionally. And she said, what, what pledge will the golden retriever give you? And I said, it promises that it will never bite my children. And she said, what do you need to do to summon this golden retriever? And I said, I, I need to, you know, we're going to have to clean up this mess because this is going to trigger some people theologically. But I said, I need to believe in myself. That was just the first thing that came out off my mind, all right? So 
know, believe in Jesus, my friend, Calvin. I know, we don't, I don't try to myself. I know, I know, I know. Calm down. But this emotionally is just what my subconscious came up with. And, you know, that was almost the last thing I said in the first session and figured out about. But I was like, oh, this is kind of weird. You know, like, because I felt like it was real. That there was a snake. Now it's replaced by a golden retriever putting his head on my lap. And I was like, uh-huh. Did I just summon a spirit creature or something? I don't think so. As I thought more about it and prayed about it. But there's something spiritually weird. I know what spiritual weirdness is like. I do know what demonic presence feel like. Uh, I have had experience with demonic presence. Like, I think I'm weird, but I know what that's like. It didn't feel like that. What it felt like was I've been trained to feel things as strange people in the world. And I am realizing that Realizing that God wants to keep our children away from us. But when you, when you um, look at sin and it becomes part of you, and sin becomes a way of making yourself weak, you look like a garbage. Just come on, just grab it, just do it. Like, come on, like. This, this sense of like, you have no worth, you are a slave, and I'm going to make you fight, and I'm going to make you work, and I'm going to push you. And who cares if your body gets hurt? Who cares if you're tired? Who cares if you're emotionally healthy? Who cares if you die in the post? Like, ask me. Like, we're going to get things done because you are garbage, but we're going to get this task done to show that we have some worth and some comfort. Like, there's some element of that that we. And it is a little bit like a snake that wants to devour you and poison you and doesn't care about you. And it's true that there was a part of me that was like that. Part of my mind, part of my brain. I don't know what. Somewhere in there, it's true that there was a snake that described me that wanted to kill me. And I don't think it was demons, I think it was part of my brain that was unhealthy. And I don't know, I don't really get the part of feeding it what it wanted, but somehow that seemed to work. And then it went away. And then, you know, have, to have that replaced by a sense of, I want what's best for you. Like, really. Like, a golden retriever would. Like, I, this is what I care for you. Like, I care for you. Um, is it sinful to care for yourself? I think not. I think everybody should look at themselves in the mirror the way a golden retriever looks at their mask and say, I care for you. You provide for me. And I want the best for you, 100% all the time. I want the best for you. That, whatever that means, I want the best for you. I care for you. And the promise, I mean, it, like it just came, you know? The promise is, I will never bite your children. Which is exactly what a golden retriever would say. But also, you know, when you're pushing yourself to the mask with shame and with driving yourself, that's scary to bite your children. So the golden people won't fight your children. That sense of love and that sense of I care for myself. I'm a valuable human being. I am significant. That won't fight your children. That will bless your children. And what you need to do is to believe in yourself. Now, I understand. 
I have preached this sermon on Facebook that, you know, the message is leaving yourself is overdone, and you don't believe in ourselves, you believe in Jesus, and we are sinners, and we need grace, and all that sort of stuff. Yes, that's true. But also, we need to believe that we are competent and capable and good people. Um, and that with God's help, we can do the things that we need to do. I need to go to work. It's so bad. Um, I think it's a little but I'll try and bring this home on the way home. <laughs> All right. Talk to you later. All right. I uh, will continue this podcast on my way home and hopefully finish it. Uh, I just re- remembered that I had said this was going to be a 15 minute podcast. <laughs> That's not happening. Anyways, um, another uh, scenario from hypnotherapy that I remember was uh, there was something about, you know, a, a troubling incident or person, perhaps it was. And um, she kind of was like, okay, we'll just visualize this as, you know, this person is up on a stage and then they become brighter and brighter like the sun and then they rise up and then it joins the central sun of the universe and then that sun shrinks down and becomes so small that it goes back into your body and I was listening to this and it's kind of like all right this is kind of weird (laughs) Uh, and again this was the first session and I was like kind of my antenna were really up and I was like hey wait a minute God is at the center of the universe not you know the central sun Um, and you know like It's not for everybody. And I think this would be beyond the comfort zone of some people. Um, But kind of where I landed after I thought about it for a bit is like, what we're trying to do is communicate to my subconscious mind that this is no longer a threat. You know, because that's really the problem. Is the subconscious mind... Like, I, I don't think... Like, from what I understand, you know, like, we have part of our brain that is able, that is awake. And, like, it's able to have adult conversations about theology and words and ideas. And you have part of your mind that's, like, asleep. And it functions in images and shapes. And and that part of your brain is really, really important because that part of your brain is connected to, you know, deeper parts of your, of your body that... Uh, you know, are programming the fight or flight response that are keeping you in high alert, that are, you know, um, that are triggered when something happens that reminds you of something, then part of that part of your brain is like, whoa, we're in danger again. And so the point of hypnotherapy is to go communicate with that part of your brain, that your conscious brain can't just, that's what's really, really frustrating about an anxiety attack or PTSD or something like that, is your conscious brain is saying, it's okay brain we're not in danger but the the other part of your brain the reptilian brain or the mammalian brain or you know whatever it is is saying no we are in danger i know i know we're in danger and sometimes this part of our brain is extremely helpful like you know that you often talk about listen to your gut it's not actually your gut it's the deeper parts of your brain that are very connected to your body so when those parts of your brain feel threatened they tense up your gut and when you feel that tension in your gut you you should pay attention to it to say there's something triggering here because your body can pick up for example there's a dangerous person 
and he's saying all the right things, so the words coming out of, out of his mouth are communicating with the, the verbal speech centers of your brain, and you say, this is a good guy. But there's something about his body language that reminds you of a different person that hurt you in the past, and the more primal parts of your body are picking up on those cues, and communicating with your gut that like, oh, watch out, this guy's dangerous. You need to listen to that. Or like a business deal or something like that. If your gut is not happy with it, well, you gotta listen to that. But sometimes it's off. Sometimes your gut is off. And your conscious brain can't just shut, can't just turn that off. If, if you feel stressed, if you feel anxious. And, and that stuff will kill you. It, it, that is, you know, they call stress the silent killer. Um, cortisol is the the hormone that's released when you are stressed and it makes you go into a hyperdrive and it makes you, um, it releases sugars and it makes the sugars process faster and it releases adrenaline. And it's really great if a tiger's chasing you, but if a tiger chased you once five years ago and now every time you open your eyes you feel that same fear, that's going to do really, really, really bad things to you. And so you need to unplug that. And the only way to unplug that is, well, I mean, I think there are other ways, but a really effective way to unplug that is either EMDR. Sometimes um, professional Christian counseling can go back there and, and dig up the memory and visualize it and, and see Jesus there somehow, and, and that can unplug it. Or else hypnotherapy can help. Um, you know, seeing this problem as whatever, being absorbed into the central sun and then coming back into us or whatever, you know, it's it's word pictures. The, that part of the brain functions with word pictures. And so the hypnotherapist is trained with certain word pictures. And it's not theology and it's not summoning demons. It's trying to communicate to the deeper parts of your brain to tell them it's okay, the threat is gone. You can stop being afraid of this situation. Um, and it doesn't have to be as weird as... I'm pulling out kind of more out there examples because they kind of stuck with me. But um, something as simple as here's your timeline. Like just imagine yourself seeing a timeline. You, you just see it right there. You know, and, and how would you visualize it? Does it come from behind you or uh, go toward it forwards, left, right, whatever? All right, well, where on your timeline do you see trouble you know and then you kind of visualize it there oh there's a dark cloud there all right well make the dark cloud go away what do you need to make it go away well maybe I need to kick it fight and punch it and that helps you push that dark cloud away from your timeline and then all of a sudden you come out of it and you feel better um, this is the testimony of one person that did it be because, and this isn't a spiritual thing, it's a psychological and uh, a physical thing that your brain is saying, okay, I don't need to worry about that anymore. That that dark cloud is past. I can I can relax. The, the danger is not here anymore. And so that's really what, um, what hypnotherapy does and what it's, what it's all about. Uh, that's, that's kind of one of the main things we want to try and do when we take counseling and therapy is to um, to communicate to our brain certain things are not threats anymore and you can stop being worried about them 
you can stop being afraid when that person walks into the room or that type of person walks into the room because you, you know, you can handle it. You're stronger. You're more capable, you know. Um, as I said earlier from the EMDR, you are competent and God is coming to rescue you. At least that's what what God spoke, what, what I have spoken to my heart, whether it was God or whether it was part of my brain speaking to the other part. So, that was um, my five and a half <laughs> types of counseling that I have experienced and a brief summary of them. Um, I think I want to end this by saying uh, if, if you feel as though you need counseling, um, you probably do. Um, well, need is a strong word. Just about everybody I know could benefit from counseling. Um, and, and I think the best advice I'd give you is um, be prepared to keep at it. Um, you, might, you, you might bump into a counselor that isn't real great. And there's been a few along my journey that just haven't been real great. Um, one guy many years ago, I asked him for mentoring and counseling. And he told me somewhere along the way that he would he had a really rough upbringing with a very emotionally unhealthy mother and he took a counseling class in seminary to try and figure himself out and that didn't work so he took a second master's to try and figure himself out and now here he is as a counselor and he still didn't figure himself out but now he has a degree so you know watch out and he was hurtful um and there will be people like that and I just encourage you um, I think counseling is the one thing that I, would, I, I wouldn't really encourage you to stick it out you know if it's not working it's not working and I would encourage you to stick it out with the process but if, if one person's not working there's other fish in the sea there's a lot of different personality types there's a lot of different techniques you know maybe you just want to bounce to somebody else but stick with the process uh, stick with keep looking um, find another talk therapist find another professional Christian counselor whatever it is that you decide you need stick with it um, I guess the other thing uh, I have mentioned it already but uh, go by recommendations uh, if if you can ideally uh, put it out there on Facebook hey looking for a counselor looking for a therapist can you guys recommend one and uh, find somebody that's you know in a similar stage of life as you has similar beliefs and um, if, if somebody's recommending something hey go with it <sighs> going up on two hours now I think that's all I want to say about counseling I hope you do it because um, there's levels of freedom and health that you can have and uh, I would encourage you to do that. And I think I will probably in the future do a, a podcast on um, unhealthy tendencies within uh, that can be present within religious circles and Christian circles. And um, might be part of that podcast or a different one. I, I, I think I want to talk about the difference between spiritual health and emotional health. Because the two are not the same thing. You can have a very spiritually healthy person who's not emotionally healthy. And you can have really emotionally healthy people that don't have a relationship with God, that are not spiritually healthy. 
Um, so the two are not the same thing. And I think sometimes we try and equate the two and that leads to trouble. So I'd like to like to play with that in a future podcast. All right, this has been Josiah Meyer for the No, no Longer Be Children No Longer Be Children podcast. I wish you well and I'll talk to you later. Bye. Hey, I just want to add one more thought <clears throat> kind of appended onto this. Um, as I was thinking more about this, I thought but you know there is a time when a, a therapist just doesn't click spiritually. And there might be a time when a hypnotherapist, it doesn't, it, it doesn't seem right. It might even seem like there's something weird spiritually going on. I don't want to give a blanket, all hypnotherapy is good, because I kind of feel like that might be something that, depending on the therapist, could be bad. And, and the reason I say that is not because of hypnotherapy, but actually because of my chiropractor. And I, I'm not saying chiropractic is bad. I use it a lot. I recommend it. But I had a particular very new agey chiropractor and we used her for a long time because she was very good at what she did. But then at a certain point, a year and a half ago or a year ago, she was just going on and on about how, you know, just breathe in and, you know, you can just accept the light from your spiritual blowhole at the top of your head and, and you just see that energy coming through your body and just visualize it healing all the places and like, you know, I I get that if she's trying to help me help my inner brain, you know, send out endorphins and heal. But it was more than that. Like she really bought into believing that there is energy swirling in the universe and we call on the energy and we draw it in and, and, and that energy heals us. And that's not my belief. You know, I can kind of play the game and it is a game, but it's a game that is useful for fixing my brain and, and helping my body work. I can play the game, but I felt like she had very different beliefs than me and she was, it was getting too preachy and too pushy for me. It's like, I'm not in here for, for spiritual guidance. I'm in here for you to crack my back <laughs> and make me feel slightly better um and so I I never went again it was just and it, it had kind of she always did a lot of talk about energy and you know letting the the healing flow and, and that sort of thing I'm talking about my chiropractor right now but it's just that that one day and it was kind of cumulative and it was like you, it's just too much I'm not we're not batting for the same team I don't I don't feel comfortable anymore um and so uh there there is that place where you just at, in your spirit you feel like this is not right uh and I would I think I could see that happening with any of these therapies uh really I could see it happening with non with Christian I started with that with a Christian counselor where you feel like wow like you're a health and wealth teacher and I don't agree that everybody should be healthy and wealthy all the time and anytime I'm sick it's because of sin you know you might have that incompatibility or with a Christian professional counselor you might feel like we're not meshing you know or you're drawing everything back to saying it's a sin issue when it's not or whatever maybe you're 
Calvinist and they're Armenian and that's causing trouble. Who knows? Um, you could have that, definitely could have that with a talk therapist where, you know, they're not Christian. You are, um, they don't understand where you're coming from. Although it seems as though they should be respectful of your beliefs. It seems like you should be able to find people that are able to respect you, but some people just don't. Some people have an ax to grind about religion or they have a lot of preconceptions. Or um, EMDR, I have a hard time seeing EMDR not working because EMDR is just you talking mostly and, and you being guided through. So I have a hard time seeing how that could go wrong. Uh, and it's very clear that it's a brain science. There's nothing new agey happening, but you can have new agey sorts of people um, anywhere. Um, and then hypnotherapy, it just, it seems like my chiropractor would have loved to do hypnotherapy. She would have loved to get the training and then do that as a side thing and just add it to her package of ways that she brings the light from the universe into our souls and, and fixes our bodies and all that sort of stuff. And um, yeah, I mean, to me, it's a game and it's a way of speaking to your subconscious and it's it's science. It is like it's something that works. Um, but you could have somebody that, you know, it th something's happening that's a little bit weird. Uh, and so I, I feel a little bit frustrated not being able to give really specific um, instructions. Like, how do you how do you know? How do you know? Um, I would say generally like hypnotherapy is fine. Uh, but it's possible that something in your spirit will say, no, this isn't right. Um, or you could straight out ask somebody like, I'm a Christian. Are you fine with that? Uh, are you able to respect that? Um, instead of talking about the universe and power coming from the universe, can you just change your terminology to say the power is coming from God, my father? That would be helpful for me. Um, and hopefully the hypnotherapist would be able to, to roll with that. I would think that they should. Anyways, uh, just that little addendum on there. Uh, and I hope that, um, that, that helps you have a good day. Bye.